All right, so hey, we've reached that time of the calendar, Stephen. I don't even know what day this is going to come out, but I, I know it's not a Tuesday. It's usually a Stephen Lassen Tuesday all day show. I think this will be a, a Stephen Lassen Friday, but uh, happy to have you back on the show. Senior editor, Athlawed Sports. How's it going, Stephen? Hey, Mike. It's going great. I, I think maybe you and I can kind of share the principle that we lose track of what day it is over the holidays or maybe i'm just the only one um, i know we're past the january 1st uh deadline but man over the holidays i don't even know what day it is sometimes it's just i figure out what day it is by what bowl game is on tv and i look at my schedule um, but that's also the sad thing right like we've reached there's only one game left of the season i don't know i, I mean i guess we got the transfer portal and coordinator stuff to keep us busy but uh hard to believe we're down to our final game of the season yeah, it's tough. It's tough to to believe the season has come and gone already. But um, mm, I got to get your thoughts. I mean, this is this is devastating, Stephen. I've in the in the history of this program, we have never had a national championship game that did not involve at least one SEC team. And I was counting Texas, so <laughs> you better believe, Stephen. If Texas won the national championship, I would have honored it as an SEC champion. Well, I can't even cheat my way to saying they're in there. But, uh, man, thoughts on uh, the epic Rose Bowl, epic Sugar Bowl. And for the for the first time since, I believe, 2014, no SEC team made the championship game. I think, first of all, I think if Texas did make the national championship and win it, I think the SEC definitely could claim it because technically it's 2024 by then. And technically, <laughs> like, they're part of the SEC in 2024. Um I guess the the only saving grace is I think if you're a, an SEC fan um, and you're pretty disappointed there's no SEC team in the national championship is that the semifinals were awesome. Uh, we had two really, really entertaining semifinals, Michigan and, and Alabama, the physicality, the defensive affair like we expected to see it came true. I mean, anytime you can get a game that comes down to, to overtime in the playoff, sign me up for it. I was a little surprised that Jalen Milrow was not more dynamic in that game, but credit to Michigan's defense. Uh, they were outstanding. Surprised that Alabama's defense didn't hold up uh, in the fourth quarter when they had totally dominated the second half. So uh, I picked Alabama. I thought they would win a close one. Uh, they came up just short. I think credit to Nick Saban and, the, and that staff for getting Alabama to that point, considering they were obviously a very flawed team this season. Uh, in the other game, it played out also like we thought, too. Uh, high scoring, back and forth. Uh, you know, the difference in the game was Michael Penix was just on fire. Texas had no answer in the secondary. That's been a problem all season. But also, I think on the bright side, I think if you're Texas, you know, the, the Texas is back. Memes have been out in full force. They've been out in full force all year. You know, to get to the playoff in, in Sarkeesian's third year is a big deal. And it's clearly that the pro, the clear that the program is on the right track. They're going into the SEC with momentum. So, man, another great game, too, to come down to the final pass in the end zone. So uh, two great semifinals. Obviously, the SEC fell up short. Maybe maybe this is our uh, post-playoff therapy session. We can give some, <laughs> some optimism for next year uh, because, hey, if you got any Big Ten fans in your in your fair friends and family circle, if they win one every ten years, I think that's okay, right? <laughs> yeah, I can live with it. I can't accept it, but I can live with it, Stephen. One out of ten, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, to your point, tough, tough week for Texas and Alabama fans, but uh, don't feel too bad because I we're going to talk about this more in just a minute. But I got a strong feeling, Steve, those they're both going to be preseason top five, barring some wild, unforeseen events this offseason. But let's go back to that Rose Bowl real quick, Steve, because I rewatched it last night. I suffered through a second viewing, and what really stood out to me I'm trying to think, I don't know if it was every fourth down, but it was just about every every you know fourth down, every critical short yardage, Michigan was the team that got it done. And a lot of that was just, just bully ball, right up the gut, things of that nature. Sometimes Alabama would have a complete bust. Obviously, the, the game-defining play, which featured a horrible snap, which that's part of it, but that's that's line of scrimmage right there. But if I were to tell you, Steve, how believable would it have been had I said Alabama is going to get out physical, outmanned by Michigan in the trenches? Because that's at the end of the day, that's that's where that game was won, and that's where the SEC prides itself. And they came up, at least Alabama did, well short in that Rose Bowl. Absolutely. Um, I I I'll answer your question. I also throw in I think Texas to some extent. Because I think Texas, the pass rush of Texas did not get home as much as I thought it might. So throw Texas in there too with Alabama in the sense of they kind of got outplayed in the trenches. I do think during the season, and I think on defense, especially for Alabama, there really wasn't that sort of difference maker up front like we've accustomed to seeing on some of these Alabama teams. There were some good players. Obviously, some guys got all SEC honors. Um, but there really wasn't that kind of first team, like just havoc causer. I mean, Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell were great off the edge, but it would have been great to have somebody on the line that made a bigger difference. And I think Michigan did. Um, they have a couple guys who were in the backfield frequently. And I think on the offensive line, I think one of the things that surprised me, you know, you go back to that SEC championship game and I know the stats weren't great, but it really felt like Alabama's offensive line played pretty well in that game. And so to go from that performance to the Rose Bowl, where they got, for the most part, I think fair to say they got outplayed, dominated, is puzzling to me. So I, I one of the reasons why I liked Alabama to win was the matchup was, it was kind of the perfect matchup for Alabama. The, the physical nature of Michigan against kind of the, your physical nature of Alabama, they matched up well, and the most dynamic player on the field was Jalen Milrow. So I was surprised at how effective Michigan was at the trenches. It felt like Alabama's defensive front sort of kind of fought the running game a little bit more to a stalemate in the second half. But Michigan made some hay uh, in the trenches, and I think that was surprising uh, to me, especially considering how the offensive line of Alabama played in the SEC championship, and you felt like that group had gotten better later in the season. Does this say anything to you, Stephen, about Alabama, the fact that uh, we all remember they, they started so poorly Lost by double digits at home. I think everybody got swept up in them, you know, going on a hot streak, beating Georgia, despite being an underdog in that SEC championship. Georgia, most people picked Georgia to win it. But, hey, they were down to Tennessee at half, Alabama was. I believe they were down to Texas A&M at half. LSU, three-loss team, was going until their quarterback got knocked out. I mean, they may have won that football game. This, this was a very flawed team. And, heck, they probably – let's call it what it is. They should have lost to Auburn, too. 
Now, you forget that because, again, they turn around, game of the year in the SEC. They beat Georgia, so all ills are, for, are forgiven. But then, in my mind, in the Rose Bowl, it was kind of like that offensive line, Jalen Milrow, kind of regressed to what they – not as bad as, as at the beginning, but certainly the offensive line, I think you could say, was – and maybe that's maybe I, that's a discredit to Michigan, but it looked like early offensive line for Alabama – uh, what what does that say about Alabama's program that it's just it was a roller coaster? I, I mean, I I for the life of me, I can't remember a Nick Saban team in Tuscaloosa being this much of a roller coaster. Yeah, you know, I think to to go back to to kind of what we talked about, I think if you had to look at Alabama coming into the playoff, I mean, the fact that I I think Georgia is probably the best team on a neutral field. You know, no disrespect to any of the teams that just played in the playoff, but I think if they all met like in Fargo, North Dakota tomorrow to play like an eight-team championship, <laughs> I would probably pick Georgia to win it all. They played their worst game in the SEC championship game, but I think they're pound for pound. They're probably the best team. But I think that, you know, you you think about that game and you think about having a month to get ready for the playoff. And I just assume that some of these things that we've seen out of Alabama being up and down, they were kind of peaking at the right time. They were going into the playoff with the momentum Milrow had really settled in over the second half of the season. The offensive line had stabilized and you thought that they would make another jump during the bowl practices. And it just didn't, it didn't work out in in any kind of fashion that we thought. And I think Michigan does deserve a lot of credit because it's watching that game and their defensive front and the entire defense is flat out nasty. I mean, they've got a lot of dudes on that defense that were all big 10, all America this year. And they went out and, and whipped uh, Alabama. So I think it is a little puzzling to see that this group didn't make that jump. On the other side of things, if you want the optimism for this team, they kind of looked like they were pretty much dead in the water on September 16th when they played South Florida. Uh, if you would have told me they were going to make the playoff after beating South Florida 17-3 to and looking pretty average for most of the game, I wouldn't have believed it in September. So to the fact that they navigated so many of these obstacles and 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 improved from game three to game thirteen that much um, is a credit to to Nick Saban. But on the same same page, I think looking ahead to next year and to kind of talk about the Rose Bowl and what it might mean, Georgia's not going anywhere. Texas isn't going anywhere. Um, their Ole Miss certainly is on the rise. It's not going to get any easier, so I think it's it's going to be interesting to see where this Alabama team goes offensively in line of scrimmage, and do they make that jump? And of course, um, Jalen Milrose's development too will be really crucial this offseason. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this is just an SEC show, so mainly an SEC. Well, I would think exclusively an SEC audience. But uh, can you give me a, a quick prediction for the upcoming national championship? Michigan, Washington, two undefeated teams, two teams. Very different in in how they like to go about it, but uh, an intriguing matchup nonetheless. Unless you're like me and you're just kind of fast forwarding the 2024 season already. So, if you're an SEC fan, are you rooting for Washington just to like to stick it to Harbaugh? <laughs> I mean, that, I, know, that's, I know I am. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. I was going to say. I think. I think if I was a neutral observer and I was a fan of. Alabama, Tennessee, or LSU. I don't want to see Jim Harbaugh win a national championship. I don't want to listen to that guy go off and take the Raiders or Chargers job and talk about beating the SEC all year. I would root for Washington. 
but I think that's also kind of like what makes this matchup interesting is it is a difference of styles. You have the physicality of Michigan and sort of the pass first approach of Washington. So I think it's going to be a fun matchup. It's going to be a little different because there's no SEC in it. Um, I like Michigan close, largely because I think their line of scrimmage, uh, how they beat Alabama, I think they find a way to win a close one. Mm. And one last thing on the championship I wanted to ask you, Stephen, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a, um, I, I think it was started by Kirk Herbstreet. It could be someone else. I, if I'm, maybe I'm misquoting, but there, there was, there's some discussion of, and I don't think this will ever happen, but do you think it should, that the Rose Bowl should be the home of the national championship game? I, again, like I said, I think Herbstreet kind of threw that out there and as college football becomes more professional, you know, we, most people hate that. Uh, kind of is what it is. I've, I've kind of accepted it, but it, it is kind of slowly churning that way. Wouldn't it be great? And I, I realize it wouldn't be on January first. I don't know why it, that's such a revered day for the for the Rose Bowl. Or like, who cares? But like, what, whether it's January eleventh or twelve or what, whatever the date would be, what would your thoughts be on holding the national championship annually? in Pasadena, in the Rose Bowl. Because to me, that would be a – obviously, that's that's the most iconic scene, I think, for, for a January football game. And not only that, but it kind of harkens back to the to what, to what this game is and why it's unique. You know, let's put it there instead of – let's take it away from Levi Stadium in San Francisco, wherever the hell that is, or <laughs> AT&T Stadium where the Cowboys play. Those I'm sure they're fine facilities, but those don't exactly scream college football to me. Yeah, there's there's something about those like stale, like corporate pro stadiums to host national championships that just doesn't sit well with me. Um, I I like, you know, I love the Rose Bowl setting. I, you know, it's it's frustrating that at times it's sort of been a block in some of the changes of college football. But as far as like tradition and scenery and I mean, frankly, most of the time it's been pretty good good weather out there and it's a great road trip if you're a fan of one of those uh fan bases playing so i wouldn't be against it i think the the flip side is in the 12 team playoff era and this is kind of one of my pet peeves about the 12 team playoff era i think you're asking fans to travel too much if you're playing games um in the quarterfinals at bowl games and semifinals and all that so if you can kind of close that up and maybe you're only asking fans to travel, you know, once or twice in the postseason. That seems a little bit more feasible and makes a trip out to California probably a little bit more doable. So I guess a, kind of a long way of answering like, yeah, I'd be OK with that because I think it's kind of college. It's very college football-y. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, I think maybe moving it around probably isn't the worst idea to make it a little bit easier for travel to. Right. Yeah. Throw it in Birmingham. Why don't we just do that? The Birmingham Bowl. That, that'll be the yeah. site of the future of Georgia, Alabama National Championship. I mean, it doesn't get much more Birmingham than that. I mean, man, I don't know about you, but I want to see the Pop-Tarts Bowl host the, the National <laughs> Championship for the cheese, you know, host it in Orlando. Bring bring back Prince Chedward and bring back the Pop-Tarts mascot. That's all I need, man. <laughs> yep. Well, Stephen, I also asked you to come prepared with uh, – you know, just it's been a wild bowl season and, and not everybody catches all the action, but and there's people that complain. I don't get it. They complain left and right about these games and, and everything. But uh, that that doesn't mean there weren't positives from from nearly every 
bowl game here. So uh, just anything that individuals that stood out and, and maybe something for, for each and every fan base to get excited about next season based on what you saw for bowl season. Yeah, let's start with the Texas Bowl. Um, unfortunately for A&M, you know, Jalen Henderson getting hurt on the first play of the game pretty much impacted the way that game was going to play out. But I think on the positive side after A&M, Marcel Reed acquitted himself very well uh, for a guy who was a true freshman being thrown into that spot to go out there against the, you know, the team that played in the Big 12 championship game at Oklahoma State and played all things considered, I think, well, and nearly led a comeback. So I think Marcel Reed, if you're Texas A&M, you have three quarterbacks you should feel good about next season. Also, um, Janae Walker, you know, eight catches for 137 yards as shorthanded A&M receiving core. It looks like to me that he could be a guy that takes another step forward next season, the second year in the SEC. And also, I, I want to give a little tip of the cap to Sam Matthews, the 12th man. Uh, he played really well in that uh, bowl game, 14 tackles, led the defense, defense was shorthanded. So uh, always cool to see a guy in a story like that play really well in his final game at that Texas A&M. Yeah, and I don't know about you, Stephen, but I, I always judge these quarterbacks, especially young freshmen, um, when they're thrown into duty unexpectedly and, and see if the moment's too big for them. And that doesn't mean you write someone off just because they're not, but the players that that step up and it it doesn't look too big for them. They, in my history, those those are the players that always kind of develop into nice players. So I I, I think that's a that's a credit uh, that, that's a great shout out, Marcel Reed. I thought uh, you know could have went had he played a little bit better, maybe they win that game. But that's it, just a tough situation to be thrown into like that. Yeah, not to mention, I mean, the staff of Texas A and M was disjointed leading up to bowl, you know, throughout bowl practices because Petrino's over at Arkansas. You've got James Coley and others working as your uh, primary offensive assistants. I, I think to your point on quarterbacks, they can get better. And I always try to remind myself that we see them struggle earlier in their career. We shouldn't write them off. But also sometimes when you watch a quarterback and we'll talk about another one probably coming up in a certain bowl game that was played on January 1st, um, that they either get it or they don't pretty fast. And I don't think the game or the moment was too big for Marcel Reed. And also I feel like the talent, uh, you saw a lot that you like there. So uh, really impressive performance for a freshman in a tough spot. Mm -hmm. uh, who's the next guys or guy that stood out to you? Yeah, how about Kentucky? Uh, I thought kind of a surprising shootout in the in the Gator Bowl. I, I figured this would be like a 24 to 17 kind of game. Uh, sure enough, I made a lot of bad predictions in bowl season. One I did get right was I tried to tell you guys about a sweaty Dabo giving us the post game uh, speech uh, after beating uh, Kentucky. Sure enough, sweaty Dabo with the bad sweatshirt was was all about that. Uh, but for Kentucky, I thought there were two guys on defense that stood out. Um, you know, Oxendine. At the line of scrimmage, you know, pro football focus graded him as Kentucky's highest graded defender from the bowl game, a sack, a tackle for loss. So not huge numbers, um, but he and also Deion Walker, I think probably two underrated players in the SEC this year. Oxendine had a really nice game in the Gator Bowl. Also, Jansen Dunn uh, didn't play a ton uh, statistically, obviously, during during the regular season but four tackles and a sack. So uh, a guy that might help Kentucky a lot next year had a good showing in the bowl game against Clemson. 
Yeah, and Kentucky is a team, Stephen, where you just don't know what to make of their that bowl game. I mean, coming off the Louisville win, it, I guess it would have been completely different had they lost that. But, um, you know, players bought in, like Ray Davis, you know, didn't have to be, to be there. Um, I didn't realize till during that game, Devin Leary said, you know, I never even played in a bowl game. But now it was due to injuries and, and other things. But I had no idea. I mean, he was, what is he, a six-year guy, I think, and first first time in a bowl so it meant it meant a lot to a lot of those players that obviously they came up just short. Probably should have won that game, but at least they battled, and that's more than Florida State. Some people can say, you know what? Yeah, I, I think that was a good sign for Kentucky, given all that transpired with the Mark Stoops era at Texas A and M, and all that uncertainty and sort of coaching, what, what however you want to word it, like the fact that Kentucky went out there and maybe didn't have the most um, fulfilling season. Maybe it was a little disappointing to some and to go out and push Clemson uh, to, to be on a doorstep of victory. Uh, you know, I, I thought uh, Kentucky's defense should have been a little bit more aggressive in some spots at the end of the game, but still uh, they were an underdog and they nearly found a way to win after a bunch of, I don't know if turmoil is the right word, but a bunch of chaos at the end of the regular season. So I think, I think that was a good showing for, for Kentucky. Yeah, Brad White, his stock is not exactly red hot right now. I'll just say that. But I do think I, he's a good I heard, coach. I heard Matt House is on the market. If <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, who, who else you got here, Stephen? That impressed yeah. you. Let's go to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, great win uh, for Missouri. Uh, I think just a game that um, played out a little, a little different than I think maybe I thought, just because thought Missouri might be able to move the ball a little bit more. But I think there were a couple guys that stood out in this game for me. Number one, Javon Foster, uh, a strong game against a very, very good Ohio State defensive line. Uh, One of the highest graded offensive linemen by pro football focus in the SEC for bowl season. So continuing his playing his career on a high note there against a good defense. Also, Marquise Johnson, uh, a 50 yard one catch, 50 yards. Key moment of the game. You know, Missouri's offense was kind of struggling up until that point. So for him to be able to hit the big play in the passing game kind of got the momentum going uh, for Missouri. But also throw out Tristan Newsom, uh, 10 tackles, two and a half for a loss, filling in for, for Tyrone Hopper in a bowl game. Tough spot against Ohio State. I thought he acquitted himself very well. Yeah, I mean, that was a tough physical game, Stephen. And... I know a lot of people don't want to give credit to Missouri because Ohio State was missing their quarterback, but, hey, they dominated them, I thought. And I saw a statistic, something like, I think it was the first time Ohio State's been shut out of a, a touchdown-wise in a bowl game. And a lot, I, I can't even remember the statistic. I apologize. I'm trying to quote this off the top of my head. But it, 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 it had basically been unheard of that Ohio State did not score a touchdown in a bowl game. But that's what, that's what Mizzou did to them. Not, not to mention, I think just even if, even with Ohio State losing their quarterback early, they still had Travion Henderson playing. He's one of the best running backs in the Big Ten. They still had tons of receiver talent. It's not like Ohio State was playing with a bunch of two and threes, like like Florida State was in the Orange Bowl. Yeah, they had their starting lineup out there. So I, I you sure you, you people can knock Missouri for for getting a good break, uh, so to speak, on Ohio State's transfer and then an injury at quarterback. Uh, but Missouri's defense played well, and Missouri's offense eventually broke through. I mean, Cody Schrader ran for 100 yards 
Brady Cook had a solid night too. Some of the rushing that he did in that game. Uh, to to me, it was it was it says more I think about Missouri capping the season off on a high note uh, in that game than it does about Ohio State. And I realize this is off topic, Steve, but this just came to my mind. But what what would your thoughts be about not having the portal open till after bowl games, so that like a Kyle McCord could have played in that game, and then. I mean, I realize for the academics and stuff, it doesn't make sense, but I think we might have to do that if, if to to fix a lot of these opt-outs and whatnot. Yeah, I think we've got to do something. Um, you know, I think you're right about the calendar is sort of tricky because of the academic side of things, and that's kind of holding up, maybe making some changes. I think one way we could change bowl season is we could move the start of the season up a week so we could move it like back to August and it, you'd have to shuffle the off season stuff, obviously, but I would start the season earlier. And then what I would do is before the championship games, I would go ahead and say like these, these teams that are in championship games and you sort of know the playoff, like you can sort of scratch out all those teams. We could go ahead and schedule a handful of bowl games for that next week. So that way there's not that long, uh, lead up to the first game, which is, I think, one of the reasons why guys opt out is to go ahead and start preparing for the draft or the transfer. But you could almost schedule that the week of uh, the championship games and sort of the next week and then open the portal after that for like five days or something. So um, mm. that that's my uh, college football commissioner uh, pitch. I'm, I'm working. I'm workshopping we need to, that on your We show, need you to become the czar, Stephen. Fix this yeah. for us. Hey, that that's the start, man. Let's 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 slide the season back. Let's go ahead and schedule <laughs> some bowl games for the week of um, the championship and sort of that next week. And then once those are done, then we can open up the portal. I, and, and that also maybe that ends. You could set the portal to be open for seven or ten days, and so it it sort of allows the early signing period to have its own day with no transfer stuff in there too. So yeah. All right, so who's who's next on your list, Stephen? Anybody that jumped out to you? Yeah, how about Ole Miss? How about the, the just first of all, offensively, uh, a great showing for for Ole Miss and against a very good Penn State defense and a big win um, for Ole Miss. So I wanted to spotlight two guys on the Ole Miss defense that I thought had a good game: Akella Stone and Jared Ivy. Three com- combined for three tackles for a loss. No Cedric Johnson in the bowl game. Uh, those two guys stepped up to get some pressure on Drew Aller. Also, for the most part, you know, I know Penn State averaged six six yards per carry, but only 167 rushing yards. They could have been a lot more dangerous on the ground in that game. So two guys up front who I thought played well um, against Penn State in the Peach Bowl. Yeah, and so much, uh, you know, the memes and everything. Pete Golding's the most popular guy in Oxford right now. But uh, does it go also to the fact that, hey, Full season of Pete Golding defense, an extra month of, of practice leading up to uh, tough competition in Penn State. And they didn't completely shut him down, but they they more or less dominated that game. Uh, and, and I realize it was a lot of that Ole Miss offense, but it, is this the seeds, you think, of what this Pete Golding defense can be in, in year two in Oxford? Yeah, I, I do. I'm buying some stock in Ole Miss uh, for next season. And I think number one, it's it's this year. I would say it's probably a transition year defensively in terms of scheme and and sort of personnel. 
look at next year's defense and the guys that are going to the starting 11 for next year's defense is going to be significantly more talented. So I think you have a full off season of development. We saw this in the bowl game too. I think so much of defense now is not about shutdown defense. It's about, can you get enough timely stops? And you think about how that game was going early on for Ole Miss. Penn state was in the backfield constantly early on. And Ole Miss gave up some points early on, but they settled in. And there was like that stretch of like four or five possessions where they forced punts. And that was just enough for Ole Miss to figure things out offensively. And then they pulled away in the second half. So I think having that offseason now, a much more talented two deep, I think we, I think Ole Miss defense is on the verge of turning a corner next season and being a, a strength for this team. Right. This is probably not the, the best comp, Stephen, but just, I mean, look no further than Washington. It's not they're not elite on defense, but they're to your point, they make stop they made the stops in that Texas game late. And they did I I I went back and watched some of those Oregon games. They did it against Oregon. You know, they made the stops when they had to. And that's what you need when you have such a potent offense, which again, not the perfect comp, but Ole Miss is gonna be highly, highly effective on offense next year if if everything breaks right. They, it's not like they need Bama or Georgia's defense to go with that offense to have a ton of success. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think even if Ole Miss won 11 games this year with that defense, um, that defense was good enough to make the 12 team playoff. You know, if we had a 12 team playoff this year, it could be even better next season to, to your point. It's exactly like Washington. I mean, Washington's defense statistically is pretty bad. But they find ways and timely spots to get off the field, whether that's a sack, a tackle for loss, a turnover, um, a stop in the red zone. That That's the kind of ball that Ole Miss can play next year because they'll have that high-powered offense and they'll just need a handful of stops uh, to win every every uh, you know toss-up game or, or maybe even every game. So I, I would feel pretty optimistic about sort of like you said, the seeds that were planted this year defensively for, for Ole Miss uh, in 2024 and beyond. Mm-hmm. Quick little break from the show to remind you guys we're brought to you by my bookie. Head on over to mybookie.ag today and put in that promo code that SEC T H A T S E C over at my bookie online sportsbook. They're willing to give our audience a $200 exclusive cash bonus today to wager on these bowl games, NFL, NFL playoffs will be right around the corner, college, football, playoffs, all the sports, they got you covered over at mybookie.ag today. And don't forget, most importantly, that promo code, that SEC is the number one way to help support the show this football season. Head on over to mybookie.ag today. Put in that promo code, that SEC, all new users get a free $200 cash bonus just for signing up and using that promo code. We're also brought to you by Prize Picks. Don't forget the Prize Picks Daily Fantasy Sports, the go to site for daily fantasy sports is none other than Prize Picks. And with that promo code SEC, they are willing to match your initial deposit up to 100 bucks. So you can have 200 bucks in your Prize Picks account today with that promo code SEC. Help the podcast stay independent. I know football's winding down, but there's still lots of football action to get in on before it all comes to a sad, depressing end. Head on over to Prize Picks, promo code SEC, and 
that SEC over at mybookie.ag today. We don't ask for much. We just ask, take advantage of these sponsorship opportunities if you can afford to do it. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any hard beverage you've had before. It's made with real brewed tea and picks a flavorful punch, 5% alcohol, and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite SEC team. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels fun and celebrates your love of college football. Keep it twisted. The podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Head on over to GameTime.co and use promo code THATSEC for $20 off your first purchase. Buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is a fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. Game Time is the place for the last-minute ticket sales. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Head on over to GameTime.co. Snag tickets without the stress. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code that. SEC for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem that SEC for 20 bucks off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And now back to the show. All right, so who's next, Steven? And <laughs> there's what I'm waiting for. We haven't got to it yet, but it better be on the list. I had to dig a little deep. For Auburn here. Uh, I, I apologize <laughs> to all your good listeners who are Auburn fans. So I decided to spotlight Rivaldo Fairweather. Uh, I, th- I think a tight end who had a nice year in some really difficult circumstances on Auburn's offense. Five catches for 40 yards, 45 yards in the bowl game. Uh, the offense was a mess for Auburn in the bowl game, but I thought he was a bright spot. On defense, uh, Caleb Wooden, four tackles, a forced fumble, and an interception. You know, Auburn's defense didn't. Didn't quite play like I thought it would. Uh, you know, they had some opt-outs and they had some guys who were out. Uh, but still, I thought Caleb Wooden, Rivaldo Fairweather, uh, two guys who had a good bowl game and just a not great showing overall for Auburn. Yeah, and speaking of that, Stephen, I, I don't want to call the guy out, so I won't. But I was on a show with a guy today, and we were talking about this game specifically, and he, he referenced the Hugh Freeze's comments that I'm sure you heard after the bowl game, he basically said, hey, I was focused on recruiting. I barely did the game plan, yada, yada, yada. And and the guy that I was on with said, well, that that's just further evidence that these games don't mean that much and recruiting's priority as it should be for, for Auburn because they're trying to build something. But, I mean, what in the hell is his job, Steven? I get it. I mean, there's a lot thrown at him, but Lane Kiffin looked pretty plugged in for, for their game. Josh Heupel looked pretty plugged in for the Citrus Bowl. Uh, odd and odd. I mean, Eli looked. I, I realize some of these games are a little bit bigger, but uh, heck, even Texas A. You credited Texas A&M's coaches. They looked pretty plugged in for the. Like in what Mark world Stoops is it? Too. Mark mean, Stoops. In what world is it okay to be like? Oh, yeah, this game don't matter. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't buy that. Do you do you buy that at all? No. Um, Hugh seems to have the. Uh... I will take credit when things are going well and 
not, you know, when things are going wrong, it's someone else's fault thing down pretty well. I mean, maybe that's just me just from the outside observer, but it seems like every time the offense has done well, uh, he has not been afraid to say that he involved himself. And when it has not gone well, he needs to get more involved. Look, I, I think bowl games don't necessarily mean a whole lot, but they do matter a little bit for perception. And I think if you're Auburn and you're trying to climb back up the top of the SEC, no showing in the Music City Bowl, probably not the best look. Does it mean anything? Probably not at the end of the day. But I also don't think like things like this are helpful. Um, but what weight do you give it? Probably not a ton. Uh, but I, I think if I'm Hugh, I think I would probably would not have said that after the game. <laughs> Right, and this is the only Billy Napier reference we're going to get because they did not make an appearance during bowl season. But, I mean, if you build just through recruiting, and, and I, I realize Napier's brought in some transfers, so, again, maybe not the perfect comp, but who cares if you sign your Auburn, you sign a top seven, number seven class. If you suck again next year, there's a great chance. I mean, many of these elite prospects are hitting the portal. So what 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 was the point of all that effort? Uh, I mean, you you just can't you. We don't live in a draft drafting or, or recruit and develop society anymore because Auburn's not going to give him three four years to to win eight games like we're seeing that in Gainesville right now. I mean, the the standard has changed. Heupel won immediately. Lane Kiffin won immediately. You know, maybe Drink is is someone you point to and say, well, it can take time and you can get it done. But they were, they were a couple losses from firing that man. So I, I don't know. I, I think the way Pew, he needs, he needs to adjust to the times. I feel like. Yes, I I would agree with that. I, I think no, no position to me sort of screamed urgency, even before the bowl game was quarterback play. And the fact that, and again, this is from the outside, don't know necessarily everything on the inside, but they, I don't, I mean, I would have gone out and been a little bit more aggressive and trying to get a quarterback after the, what we saw during the regular season. And it seemed like they ramped up their pursuit for a quarterback after the bowl game. Um, I don't know that you needed the music city bowl to, to see that you needed some help at quarterback, even if it's just to push some of the younger guys and to push Peyton Thorne. Uh, but I think to your point, there's sort of this, idea that from talking to you and talking to other people, I think that I've sort of, it's about building the the now and you sort of worry about the future a little bit later on. You're trying to build the team for right now. And yes, recruiting and developing and stuff like that, all that matters. But because of the portal, because of NIL, you have the ability to change things quickly. And players also have the ability to change their address also very quickly too if they're not happy there. And anytime we talk about proof of concept and program building, anything like just playing better in the music city bowl, I think there's something to there's positive things you can take out of that. And I think it's, it's about a place like Auburn. You should be able to go and build a winner right now. And that's why, why I think while I, like what Auburn is doing on the recruiting trail, I think there has to be a little bit more urgency to get this thing going, uh, start to push for for eight, nine uh, victories again. Yeah. Well, I could bash you freeze all day, Steven, but who you got next on your list here? Got a long list of Georgia Bulldogs who <laughs> I was impressed with in the bowl game. Um, and I think 
one of the, the values of bowl season sometimes is watching to see what the next stars are going to be. And that's one of the things that I took from Georgia's uh, victory over Florida State, the pretty convincing one, 63 uh, to 3. I'll start with Gunnar Stockton. I was impressed. I know Florida State was playing a lot of backups, but if Gunnar Stockton is the starting quarterback in 2025, uh, Georgia's in is in good hands. I know it's not necessarily the biggest news for Georgia fans because, uh, you know, because of his high school recruiting and some of the some of the behind the scenes stuff that you've heard. But he performed really well. Also, Oscar Delp, uh, three catches in that game. They're going to miss Brock Bowers, but Oscar Delp, uh, I think, looked pretty good in that game. And also on defense, you know, C.J. Allen, Dalen Everett, thought both of those guys had a nice uh, Orange Bowl. Everett was targeted eight times by Florida State only allowed three catches for 44 yards. So a nice game for him. Allen should be one of the stars of that defense next season. So just sort of finding the next uh, wave of stars for Georgia, and they were impressive in that victory. Yeah, and shout out Kirby for calling out, you know, just kind of the current model and and resulting in that blowout of a game. And for the fact that I don't know why many people didn't make the same argument, but Hey, the expectation in Athens now is national championship or bust. Or, I mean, maybe it's a little bit more fair to say playoff or bust because you're just not going to win every game. But they they fell short of the playoff, and they could have had just as easily. Same same situation as FSU, where all these future NFL stars opted out, and we didn't have that. So I I think that's a credit to Kirby and his program. So I think he's he comes away a big winner here as well. Yeah, he he really did. I think with his post game comments, sort of, I don't know whether this is fair or not, but it does feel like to me that the tide has kind of turned on some of these things in the last couple of weeks. Like we were just we were just joking about my uh, commissioner proposal. But it does feel like it's sort of like reached a breaking point this offseason with all the roster uncertainty and, and bowl stuff. So I I think coaches are part of the solution, and I think it's good for, for Kirby to go ahead and get out there. But also very broadly, I think, you know, we can look at transfer numbers and we can sit, question culture and all that stuff. I think the culture is really strong at Georgia. I mean, look at their winning streak. Sure, they lost some guys to the portal, but a lot of those guys, uh, you know, stuck that could have set out for the NFL draft played and the next wave of stars is, is, is right there too. So uh, zero doubts for me about Kirby in this program. They're going to be very, very good next year. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. Who, who you got <laughs> next on your uh, 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 players that stood out here? Let's go to the uh, Relia quest bowl uh, with Wisconsin and LSU. I got four players uh, from two positions at receiver, Chris Hilton and Kyron Lacey. Uh, those two guys will be a bigger part of the receiving core going forward with Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas uh, moving on to the NFL. Those two guys, I thought, stepped up in the bowl game. Also, on the offensive line, Emory Jones and Will Campbell uh, graded out well by pro football focus against a pretty good Wisconsin defense. So some good uh, things, I think, uh, considering Garrett Nussmeyer played well for LSU. You got some guys stepping up at receiver. Offensive line should be a real strength uh, as well for LSU next year. Yeah, you mentioned Malik Neighbors. I mean, heck of a player, but I don't think I'd ever seen, Stephen, where a guy's come in, broke a school record, 
Then he says, all right, I'm, my career's done. <laughs> like, what, what are we doing <laughs> yeah. in a game where they desperately need it? Of course, they won anyway, so I guess it didn't matter. But, oh, my goodness, like, I, I, don't, I, I did not care for that. Yeah, I think I think if uh, it sort of speaks to how bowl games are probably treated, you know, um, <laughs> some of these lower bowl games, but also, you know, like we talked about, I mean, hey, it's great that he got the record. And also they gave some of the other guys a chance to shine, too, for next year. So uh, it was a little weird, but uh, I guess they checked off all the boxes that they needed to for LSU <laughs> because that was a good win uh, against Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah, his legacy, I just don't I don't think it'd be the same if they lost that game and it was some other receiver dropped a pass or something like that. That, that should have been him, you know? True. Yeah, very, very true. That could have went south uh, uh, quickly, but I, I guess fortunate for, for LSU and for him that they uh, got the victory. So, <laughs> Well, we've reached January 1, Stephen, so please tell me, you have future Heisman Trophy winner, Nico, on this list. I do. Um, <laughs> it was It's funny. I was talking to a uh, a good friend of mine after the uh, the bowl game, the Tennessee-Iowa game. And uh, he was commenting about the Nico hype train. And he said, uh, this is this is what college football needed. Another Tennessee quarterback that shined in a bowl game in the state of Florida. And now we have to go through the hype train of, of all offseason. So I think it's a little different with Nico and Joe Milton, though. I, I think it's, it's pretty legit. Uh, for Nico to go out and look as sharp as he did in command of the offense and also wasn't overwhelmed by the moment and wasn't overwhelmed by a good Iowa defense. I think those are great signs for Tennessee going forward, but also thought that two other guys for Tennessee stood out, uh, Dylan Sampson and also Cameron Selden. Uh, those two guys in the backfield, 188 combined rushing yards, no Jalen Wright, no Jabari small, but Tennessee ran for over 200 yards against a very good Iowa defense Combine that with Nico and I think you're you left the bowl season. Tennessee's probably one of the biggest uh, winners of bowl season. Maybe also one of the biggest like vibes of teams. Like they, if you're a Tennessee fan, you're feeling really good right now. Right, and what's going to get lost in all the Nico hype outside of Knoxville, Stephen, is just the fact that you said uh, Samson, Selden, uh, Bruce McCoy just announced he's coming back. They're bringing back, I. Th- you know, I don't think it's fully determined yet, but four offensive linemen, starting offensive linemen, they're in the mix trying to add another at, at the offensive tackle position. So he is, for all the for all the hype, which I think is warranted at this point in time, just scored four touchdowns in his debut and was MVP of his first start. It's really helps Tennessee that it's not, um, again, again, this maybe not the best example, but like, Spencer Rattler this year at South Carolina, who I thought far and away exceeded my expectations. But he did it largely in spite of the team and the talent around him. Whereas it's flipped, I think, at Tennessee, where they don't, even if Nico is Superman a, a time or two, they don't need him to be that week in, week out with everyone they've got surrounding him, which, which should just ease him in to that starting role in the new look SEC. And make that his adjustment to stardom all the more easy, so to speak. Yeah, no, I, I buy that too. I, I think what's you know, you and I have talked during this season about um, Tennessee and kind of where they are as a program. Their defense has gotten better over the last couple of years. So I think if you're you know you're sitting you're sitting here looking at this, going, 
this offense for Tennessee is probably, I don't want to say the low point for Josh Heupel at Tennessee, but it certainly was not as good as the 2022 version. And maybe the 2024, 2025 version isn't as good as the 2022 team. But I think you have to start getting pretty excited about the potential for next year's offense, because like you mentioned, they're bringing back the offensive line. Um, Selton and Samson are going to be a nice one-two punch. Throw uh, Chris Brazel, the Tulane transfer at receiver. They're going to be a lot better um, across the board. Uh, or just they're going to have they're going to be dynamic. They're going to be better at receiver potentially. So I, I like everything about Tennessee's offense, and you combined uh, the defensive improvement. There's a lot to like there. So I, I think Nico's going to be very very good. But also to your point, they don't need him to be uh, Superman because. They have the, the the supporting cast and defense is is improved to the point to where um, he doesn't have to be. Right now, do we have anyone else, or does it just you were just so blown away by Nico? There's just nowhere else to go. Actually, I had a couple guys on defense. Uh, uh, you know, Tyree West had four tackles, one and a half sacks. Also, Andre Turntine, short-handed secondary, three tackles, a pick, and a, and a, a pass breakup uh, for Tennessee. Uh, I was offense. Leaves a lot to be desired, uh, but those guys I thought stepped up uh, for Tennessee in that game. Yeah, and I don't know if you've seen it yet, Stephen, but there's a lot of hype that James Pierce, who's he's already emerged as a great player, but several people I've seen project him as the top edge pass rusher type in the 25 NFL draft. So um, again, I don't I don't think not similar to the, our discussion about Ole Miss. I don't think Tennessee is going to have some like lockdown Georgia defense, but they may not need it. If the offense is scoring 35, 40 points per game, they just, they need stops. And, and a player like James Pierce, if he lives up to that potential lives up to that hype, which he has already flashed, you know, this is not, this is not some guy that just looks the part and NFL is falling in love with them. This is a guy that has been highly productive this year if he could take over at, at a critical point or two against top top competition next season, that could be the difference between a playoff run for Tennessee. Absolutely. I mean, you, you talk about a guy who can get to the quarterback, create havoc, pressure, timely stops. That's all Tennessee could need next year because the offense could just be so good. You, you look at the numbers from that 2022 defense, they gave up almost 27 points a game in SEC play. And some of that was probably skewed a bit by the South Carolina game at the end of the season. Uh, but they improved on those numbers. Um, you know, this year, I mean, they dipped to about 27, but it felt like this year's defense was better as a whole. So I, I will buy um, James Pierce, like all America hype. If, if you didn't get on the train last year, he's going to be right there. Uh, next season and certainly probably in the discussion for preseason defensive player sec defensive player of the year i would think right yeah i mean i think he's right in the running but now they can't just be awful on defense and then him win it you know <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. like like harold perkins two years ago or or i guess a season ago if you want to i mean i i think he should have been in consideration but it's kind of hard to give that to an individual when the, the overall unit is not that good you know yeah, that's fair. Um, I, I, you know, Tennessee's in an interesting spot, you know, defensively because of some of the turnover that they're going to have on the secondary and, and some of that. But I think, you know, the, the Tennessee staff has done a good job, I think, of identifying some guys in the portal 
the last couple of years, you know, Keenan Peely, uh, Gabe Judy, Judy Lally also came in and played pretty well uh, for Tennessee. So, you know, I, I think they could fill some gaps there too, but also, you know, if Tennessee's in the, in the mix to make the 12 team playoff, that's probably good enough uh, for Jay's Pierce to be in the consideration for defensive player of the year, of the SEC. I would, I would think, cause I would, I would assume at that point, that means Tennessee's defense is at least middle of the pack in the SEC. Yeah. Hey, you know, Stephen, one team I, I haven't heard you discuss, uh, Oklahoma. Any, anything stand out in, in there? It was a, a loss, unfortunately, to Arizona. But I was pretty impressed. After a, a rough, rough start by, for Jackson Arnold, I I thought he looked pretty awesome, to, to, you know, to the middle half of that game. And then that's that's kind of what I expect when I see a true freshman. I mean, they can't all be Nico, Steven. Let's let's call it what it is. But I mean, he looked, he flashed, he he looked, he looked like it was his first start, which it was. Which I don't think that's a knock when you say that about a player playing uh, Arizona. I think won ten games. It's not like some joke of a team or anything. But um, I saw real potential there from from Jackson Arnold. Absolutely, yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think of the quarterbacks that made their debut in bowl season and by debut i mean making their first start jackson arnold nico garrett nussmeyer probably top my list of probably the most like impressive debuts by a quarterback you know to your point the three interceptions yeah it's not great it's probably it's one of the reasons why oklahoma lost the game i think one of those what really wasn't his fault it was kind of the weird like tip pass and receiver it picked, arizona picked it off for a pick six Oklahoma was also a little shorthanded on the offensive line too. So uh, despite all that new offensive coordinator, I was really impressed. Uh, I think if, you know, the, the changeover, uh, the, the handing of the torch from Dylan Gabriel to Jackson Arnold, I think should be a pretty smooth uh, process for Oklahoma. I, I think he's going to be a, I think no questions for me about Jackson Arnold's ability in the sec next year. Mm-hmm. And then uh we, I did really want to ask you about about this, Stephen. All this uh, firings here in Baton Rouge, <laughs> cleaning house on the defensive side of the ball. D- defensive coordinator Matt House, he had to go. Safeties coach, cornerbacks coach, defensive line coach. We we bring in. I think the only guy we're bringing back is John Jancic <laughs> on the defensive side of the ball for LSU. Uh, it kind of a two two parts to go with this, Stephen. This is year three for Brian Kelly. He's got to replace both coordinators now because Denbrock left for Notre Dame. It feels like we're at a crossroads. And yes, Garrett Nussmeyer won the bowl game. Looked, he's got, he's got the the typical prototypical NFL arm. But there's let's call it what it is. Let's you know let's keep it real, Steve. There's going to be a drop off because he's not Jane Daniels. I mean, Jane Daniels was fantastic. Garrett Nussmeyer could be the best quarterback in the SEC next year, and he's probably still not as good as Jane Daniels was this year because that's just how elite Jane Daniels was. So with all this coaching change, with you know losing a dynamic player of that caliber, what's your thoughts on, on LSU? And I, and, I, and I guess this will bleed into our conversation to close out on your early SEC rankings. I think the the first thing that comes to my mind is kind of a word that you tossed out there is crossroads transition is kind of where I see LSU at this point. I don't think by any means like Brian Kelly's on the hot seat or anything like that, 
but you have to hire a new offensive coordinator. You have to find an, an entirely new defensive staff, pretty much. It's a chance to hit the reset button and get it right uh, this time, because I don't think you could afford to fall too far behind in the SEC. If LSU slips back, I think they could go into the portal. They could reload quickly. But there's a real opportunity here for LSU next season because they should be a playoff contender uh, with Garrett Nussmeyer and the offensive line that they have. If you look offensively at the numbers, they averaged about 10 or 11 points more a game this year than they did last year. Hard for me to see that they will average 45 points a game next year. So to your point, I think we have to expect some regression offensively just because of personnel departures, but it's still a strength. But if your defense doesn't get any better, all of a sudden, you know, nine, 10 victories get a little closer to seven. Then you start inching your way to the hot seat. So it does feel like a important off season for Brian Kelly to get this right. When Brian Kelly was at Notre Dame, he went four and eight one season They made a bunch of coaching changes. He sort of changed the way he approached things in the program, and they got a lot better after that. So I have confidence that Brian Kelly will fix this staff. He'll go out and hire a good defensive coordinator, whether it's Joe Sloan or whoever it is on the offensive coordinator uh, front. They'll be fine. So I I think it's it's an interesting spot because there's a lot of transition. There's a lot of change. There's a lot of kind of fork in the road moments here for Brian Kelly, but also I think you have to have some confidence based upon what happened at Notre Dame that he can get this right. Mm-hmm. So let's get into uh, your very, very, very early SEC rankings. I've I've always thrown this out there. This is one of my favorite topics to to delve into, and I had to do it during the playoffs even just to get ahead of the curve because. <laughs> I mean, these things come out earlier and earlier every year, but uh, now we're in a 16-team SEC. Um, where where do you got things? And again, this is January 3rd we're recording, so we don't even know. Uh, there could be I, – I don't think there will be a head coaching change, but there you, you never rule anything out. Several coordinators need to be hired. Could be changes all across the board. Portal, recruiting – a lot can change between now and uh, obviously the season. So uh, I'll throw that little, you know, asterisk there, but uh, where do you see things as of January 3rd? I will throw another kind of asterisk in this too, which is the transfer portal and all that stuff has made this a lot harder, but I didn't put a ton of stock into schedules right now, just because it's with all the unknowns about the roster. I want to wait till we get a little closer to spring ball to sort of dive a little bit more into that. But I think the to me, the top four teams in the SEC are clear on paper right now. And this is the tier one kind of contenders. And that is, I'll start at number one. I've got Georgia at one. I think Carson Beck coming back. Maybe it's the Georgia revenge tour next <laughs> season after they fell short this year. Uh, Trevor Etienne coming in at running back. I, think I haven't George- lost a regular season SEC game in three years, Stephen, and it's still a revenge tour. But Kirby's got them kids brainwashed. Right, right. Uh, the, I, I'm start, I'm getting the the disrespect vibes <laughs> that no one believed in us again, like we saw 
in the national championship after beating TCU. So I think Georgia's the team to beat in the SEC. I'm going to have them number one in my early top 25 for next year. I've got Alabama a close second. Uh, like we talked about, sort of a rebuilding year, and Alabama made it to the doorstep of the of the national championship game. So I would assume another offseason of development for Jalen Milrow. They could figure some things out on the offensive and defensive lines. I've got Alabama second. I've got Texas at three. Whether it's Quinn Ewers, whether it's Arch Manning, I think they're going to be just fine offensively. Also, I think there's also a bit of a, I guess, development culture play here. You know, Sarkeesian now in his fourth season, they've gotten to the doorstep of the playoff. They sort of, there's no longer that question is Texas back. It's just a matter of a question of how high can they go uh, at this point. So I've got them third. And at number four, I've got Ole Miss. I think this team is primed and loaded for a run uh, deep into the college football playoff next season. Loaded offense. And the defense, I suspect, will be much better uh, in 2024 with all the portal additions. So those are my top four for next year. I, w- I wanted to ask you about Texas because I'm still kind of green on on learning their their overall roster and where things stand. And I know it's just raw. They just played, you know, they played their guts out, nearly came back and and made the national championship, but fell just short. So there, there's probably in the NFL deadlines not till January 15th, if I if I'm correct on that. I believe they still, uh, in fact, I know they still have players that could hit the portal. I know the portal closed, I think, yesterday, but for teams in the playoff, they get that extended because obviously they were competing. But it, can you give me a ballpark? Um, and, and I realize this is a tough thing to, to answer off the top of your head, but ballpark of uh, key key players that that are maybe on the roster right now that are projected to be there next year, but could go to the NFL or could go to the portal. And, and um, that, that could alter Texas as, as one of these elite or, or are they firmly with everything projected to, to bring back? Are they firmly in this top four and, and short of like Ewers and Arch Manning leaving, which we know that's not going to happen, but you know, short of that, uh, you know, is going to maintain them in the top four, so to speak, of your, of your tier here. Yeah, that's a really good question because they do have some guys who are probably going to go to the NFL. I think Xavier Worthy has declared a tight end Jatavian Sanders could also go to the NFL. The two defensive tackles, uh, Byron Murphy, I think, could go to the NFL. Tavondre Sweat's a senior. You look at their secondary, a couple guys who are also uh, seniors, as well as uh, Jalen Ford, one of their top linebackers. So, you could almost go piece by piece on the roster and see that each position could lose a key senior or two. I think the the strength of this team is quarterback, regardless of who starts. Backfield, C.J. Baxter, uh, great freshman season. He should be back. If the receiving core is depleted, they have Matthew Golden transferring in from Houston. He was a uh, kind of a, a probably a super I'm fair to say he was a superstar for Texas or for Houston the last couple of years he should come in and play right away and Jonte Cook uh, who was a freshman this year I think can step up next year strength of this team will be the offensive line Kelvin Banks should be a preseason All-American uh, next year he's been a standout for the last two years but they will have some losses 
to navigate every level on defense. So maybe to your point, the question is, how close would they be to Georgia or Alabama if you think they're one or two? And if you think that maybe they lose a little bit to the portal, maybe you slide Ole Miss at three ahead of them in your early rankings. I think that's a Mm -hmm. fair question. And I believe they signed a top five class. So I'm not sitting here saying they're devoid of talent by any means. You know, (laughs) I'm I'm sure they're going to have many, many uh, contributors step up that, uh, you know, uh, from that class that given Sarks and that defensive coordinator's history, they're going to get guys ready to play. Yeah, absolutely. I I think the the drop-off will probably be – they are losing some guys who are significant but also think that they will be able to reload, and especially the track record that they've had of, of program development and improvement. Um, I think they'll be just fine as they go into the SEC. And also, I think Sarkeesian, knowing that they were going to make this move, and even before they were going to the SEC, he emphasized building the line of scrimmage, and that's going to play off really well, I think, in the SEC in, in 2024 and beyond. Mm-hmm. So who's in your uh, second tier here in the SEC? Let's start with Missouri. I think with Brady Cook coming back, like what Missouri is doing in the portal, I also trust this staff uh, to figure things out. Of course, Luther Burden is coming back next year, so the defense is going to have some losses, but I think Missouri will be right back in the mix to be a playoff contender in that new 12-team playoff era. So I've got Missouri 5. I've got Tennessee at 6. I guess I'm on the Nico hype train too here uh, to have the Vols at six, but love the potential of this offense uh, and suspect that Tennessee will continue to add some uh, to the portal on defense as we get closer to the season. I've got Oklahoma at seven and LSU at eight. I I wrestled with these two. I think you could have LSU a little bit higher. Would like to see what LSU does from the defensive staff. I think their offense is going to be good again, but it also has probably not going to be as explosive like we talked about as the uh, 2023 version. And for Oklahoma, I think the question will be, you know, transitioning leagues, they probably aren't where Texas was in terms of um, like offensive line. I think Texas is just a little bit ahead on that area, but they also have the Jackson Arnold, the promise of Jackson Arnold and what Brent Venables has been doing the last couple of years. They are well-equipped to go into the SEC and be a real problem. So I've got them seventh, which puts them probably top 15 or so nationally uh, with LSU just behind at number eight. Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, there's no shame in being in the second tier. You're just, you're basically, there's unknowns that if we get some breakouts, you know, you're right in that playoff conversation in a 12-team format. So, uh, I, I mean, I would think, obviously, not all eight of these teams. Well, they probably should be, but they're not all going to be playoff teams. But uh, I, I think all all the ones you've listed have the ingredients, if things break right, to to make that playoff field. I agree with you. I, I think draw the line at LSU. Well, I'll take that back. The next team on my list, Texas A&M, I've got them at number nine. I think that's where kind of the line is for playoff contenders, at least before we get into spring practice for me in the SEC. All those top 25 teams, so they're all playoff contenders. But, you know, a couple of these teams are probably going to be nine and three, maybe even eight and four. But because of the depth of the SEC and the strength of schedule, they should easily be in consideration for a, uh, a spot in the playoff. 
So is A&M, are they in tier two or tier three? Uh, tier 2.5, I, I guess. Uh, <laughs> not, uh, <yeah. laughs> okay, so who, um, who's, in, who's in tier three then? Yeah, I, I got a couple teams here. Uh, I've got Kentucky at number 10, and I think sort of a play on program stability a little bit with Mark Stoops. Obviously, the unknown at quarterback with Brock Vandergrift is a question, but you look at the teams behind them, I've got Auburn at 11. No idea what to expect on offense right now. I think they will be better next season, but I want to see what they add from the portal, if they can get a quarterback in. I've got Florida at 12. You know, I like the the development of Graham Mertz this season, but is Florida going to be any better on defense next year? Tough schedule, too, for, for Billy Napier. So I've got Florida 12. Got South Carolina 13. Like, uh, I'm really intrigued by Lenore, Lenora Sellers in that offense for South Carolina. Rocket Sanders is a great pickup, uh, but the offensive line and the secondary have to be a lot better for South Carolina next year. Mm-hmm. And why is uh, AM just in a bracket of their own? Is it because they, they have so much talent, yet new coach, new schemes, transition? Which we have seen it before, Stephen. Where these coaches, these, I mean, you know, that could be exactly what they need down there in College Station. And I have to believe if Jimbo Fisher was a coach, <laughs> we'd be knocking them back a tier. What, what's your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, they they probably should be in that same tier uh, with Missouri, Tennessee, and LSU because I think they're a top twenty-five team next year. I think. You know, very broadly, I think the we've we've talked about this a lot. The the biggest problem for Texas AM is maximizing your talent and your roster. I don't think that will be an issue under Mike Elko and Colin Klein, the new offensive coordinator. I do think it will be, you know, anytime there's a new coaching staff, anytime there's change, it might take a year for that fully to turn over and to go where they want. So I think maybe that's the only thing for AM right now is that transition. Plus, I think they've lost some guys to the portal, obviously. They've added some names. I want to see where that shakes out a little bit. But they're ninth, but I've got them in my top 25, too. So that just kind of speaks to how deep this league is. <laughs> so who's the final SEC tier for you? So the I guess maybe we should break this the last tier into like two because I think okay. Arkansas, Mississippi State at 14 or 15 are kind of toss-up. You could... Shift them. Oh, that's fair. You got to put yeah. Vander in their old in their yeah. own tier, right? <laughs> uh, yes. Sorry, sorry the to Vandy Vanderbilt tier. Fans. Yeah, they, they, I've got them in their own sort of tier. I like what they're doing to try to improve the program through the portal and the coaching changes. I think are a step in the right direction at coordinator. But I've got them sixteen, Arkansas, Mississippi State, fourteen, fifteen. You could switch those two. I I wouldn't argue with you uh, too much at this point. And would it be? Highly unrealistic that Arkansas and Mississippi State jump into that next tier, which is again there's there's a lot of unknown for with both of them. So I ag- I agree a hundred percent with you, but I guess I'm just trying to give optimism to those two. If that makes sense. As as you and I are talking about this, I'm looking at that tier. Kentucky has a transfer quarterback. Auburn has unknown potentially transfer. Florida has Graham Mertz. You could argue 
maybe of these six teams, Florida is in the best shape at quarterback, especially mm-hmm. with the freshmen coming in too. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Carolina has got a new starter. Arkansas and Mississippi State are relying on transfer quarterbacks too. I think to to answer your question, yeah, I I think they could. I think a lot of this is going to depend on quarterbacks uh, in this space, this this little tier here, uh, because Mississippi State is shaping the answer to execute uh, Jeff Levy's offense and Taylor Green or Jacoby Criswell under uh, Bobby Petrino. So a lot of this is really who finds a quarterback probably the fastest. Yeah. Well, Stephen, like I said, I'm already looking forward to 2024. I know there's still a game left, but doesn't involve the SEC, so it. I'll watch it. I'll comment on it, but just not excited about this. Even though it's a showdown of undefeated, it'll, it'll be fun. But uh, any, anything else before we hop off the line? You, you know, it's like one of those um, those games where the rival beats the other rival in their home territory and they turn the scoreboard off before anybody can get a picture for it the national championships in the sec's backyard so i guess you have to acknowledge it mike sorry uh but it doesn't mean but like i told you uh off the air i think 2024 2025 uh will be the year of the sec because this league looks very very deep uh next year and i'm excited about the uh the quarterbacks uh that's going to be in the conference next year. I think it's going to be a great year for quarterbacks and for teams in the SEC. Yeah, I can't tell you, Stephen, how many people, Bama and Texas fans I've heard from, that were gearing up for this Houston trip. They had to refund all that. So I hate it for them, Stephen, but I hate that our conversation is coming to an end. Before you get going, uh, can you remind the audience, where can they follow you? Where can they find your work? I guess Connor Stallions can actually get some good seats too. This game there for Michigan. Uh, yes, in all seriousness, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Athlon Steven. You can check out all my work at All CFB three six five. Also, check out the Cover Two podcast uh, that I do with Brayden Gall every Wednesdays, previewing all things college football, everything around the nation. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State.